Good morning again. We want to welcome you to IAC. And uh, my name is again is Pastor Jeff. At this time, we're going to move into a time of offering. And so I'm going to invite those who are going to come and take the offering, if you would come at this time. And uh, I will pray. If we have somebody to come and do that. Thank you, Lynette. Okay, thanks. Join me in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this day, again, for this opportunity to give to you, to your kingdom, to this church and the ministries that we support, not only here in Providence, but around the world. And Father, we give with one intent, and that those who have yet to know Jesus Christ may soon come to call him Lord and Savior. We ask that you multiply this and provide wisdom and discernment uh, as we disperse this money, that we would be good stewards of all of your resources, not just of our money, but of our time and talents as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as, as Neary said, uh, we're glad to have our District Superintendent Tom Flanders and Andy Geffers with us and his wife Holly last week. And uh, we are planning on that meeting. Uh, it'll be three weeks, uh, whatever, yeah, two weeks from today. <laughs> two weeks, two weeks from today. Uh, and uh, as she said, we'll have a, a time where you can bring your concerns and your questions to us. Uh, and then the governing board will be meeting and then uh, voting on the proposal that was brought to us. So please, again, be in prayer because that's the most important thing. Uh, and uh, again, if you have any questions whatsoever, let, let, us, let us know. So we took a break last week. We looked at Psalm 25. And this week, we're going to go back into the Ten Commandments. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you're going to be looking at Exodus 20. That's, uh, that was a misprint on my part. It's not Exodus 2. It's uh, Exodus 20. I just saw it on my page. Uh, and it's verses 1 through 6. So if you would read along with me. And God spoke the, all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in any form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and to keep my commandments. So just to back up a little bit, the intent of these Ten Commandments were that they were given to a people who already knew God. Sometimes we, we reverse that. We think the Ten Commandments are given to help people to, to come to know God, but historically, they're given to people who have already been bought out of slavery. They have already been set free from, from Egypt. And now the invitation is, now that you know God, come to live in the fullness of the of the relationship that he desires for you. So he kind of gave a, my brief paraphrase of these Ten Commandments. And the first one was this, was very simply this, put God first. 
God first in all things. The second one that we're going to take a look at today is this, accept no substitutes. We said that what, for me, what struck me in these first verses of Exodus 20 are not even so much the words, the commandments themselves, but the emotion and the energy that is behind them because he says very clearly, I am a jealous God. Those are, jealousy is not something we naturally think about when we think about God. We think of jealousy as kind of being a negative thing that we would want to avoid, and yet it communicates how God sees us and how he feels towards us. We also learn from these verses that we don't sin. When we sin, we don't sin in isolation. We don't sin in such a way that it only just affects us, that we would like to feel that some way. I'm only hurting myself when I sin. But he's saying here that when we sin, it goes out to the people who are close to us. In verse 5, he says, I am a jealous God punishing the children of, for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He's saying this, that my, my tendency to, to worship other gods, to have idols in my life, to, to bow down, to, to serve them, to worship them, to, to love them, my tendency in doing that will be passed on to my children. Keeping with this, this whole image of, of a relationship and, uh, and an adulterous relationship, he's, he's saying this, that when a person enters into a, an idolatrous and adulterous relationship with an idol, it produces children. For example, when, when we have children, we pass on our DNA. We pass on our physical traits, our, our emotional traits, um, we carry those on, we pass those on to our children, so our children sometimes look a lot like us. And in the same way that we do that physically for our children, when we have children, the same thing is true spiritually, that we pass on our spiritual DNA to our children, and not just to our children, but to our grandchildren and the children after that. That is a strong word, that when I sin, it affects not only just me, but my children and my children's children and their children. Now, the great news, if, if that would be bad news if that's where it ended. The great news is he's saying that can be reversed. That if we will commit ourselves to fully following God, that curse is broken and reversed. In verse 6, he says this, I am a jealous God, punishing the children of the, the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That as I seek after God, that has consequences in my children and their children and their children and their children to a thousand generations, he says. So a question I don't know if you've asked, but I've asked a number of times in my life is very simply this. God, what do you want from me? 
What is it that you are after? We talk about God pursuing us, God coming after us. What is it that he is after? That's a very natural question to ask, I think, especially when things are tough, right? When things aren't working the way they're supposed to work, we're going through a hard time and we're trying to figure out what's going on. A very natural question is, okay, is it something I've done, I've not done? God, what do you, what do you want from me? What are you after? I think there are a couple ways that we naturally would answer that question. One of the ways would be, God, what are you after? Well, God's after your obedience. God is after your, your sacrifice. God is after you so that you will believe, you will have faith. Some would say that, that God is after our best interest, that he wants the best life for us, the fullness of relationship. That's what God wants us to have, uh, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's what God is after. And, and I think but you can make like some kind of an argument about those things, that God is interested in, in our obedience and desires our obedience, that, that God does have a plan to prosper us. But ultimately, beyond our obedience, beyond a good plan for our life, what God is truly after is our hearts. Our hearts. The very center of our being. As a matter of fact, God communicates the desire of his heart through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Do you hear that? They worship me, they sing songs, but their hearts are someplace else. They belong to someone else. And he wants our hearts. John Eldridge, in a, in a book entitled Sacred Romance, says this, how few of us believe this, that God is after our hearts. For we have never been wanted for our hearts, not really, not for long. I wonder if we really understand what it means to, 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 to solely be wanted for your heart. Most of us at some point maybe have been pursued in a relationship or have pursued somebody else in, in a relationship and in part why we did that was because we were attracted to them and we were maybe attracted to them because of what they could give to us what they could do for us. Maybe we were attracted to them because of the way they looked and we were drawn to them in that way. The problem is when we pursue somebody for what they can give to us or what they look like, what they can bring to us, the problem is when they no longer look like that. I looked one way when I was 20 years old. I look a lot different today than than when I was 20. I used to be able to do a lot of things physically when I was 20 years old that I can't do today. So I can't give the same thing that I gave back then. 
Sometimes we experience that in our job. We work hard at a job for year after year after year, and we no longer can do that job the way we used to be able to do it. Our services are no longer wanted, and we're let go. So the idea that, that God is after us, not because of what we can give to him, but he pursues us only because he, he loves us and he wants our hearts, that is really hard for us to take in. Maybe even scary. But if in fact God is a jealous God who has passion and emotion towards us, he will not settle for superficial worship, superficial service, for anything less than our hearts. And the call of his voice to us is that we need to abandon all false gods and idols. Now the problem with that is that most of the things that are idols in our lives make us comfortable. And God is calling us to give up those things that are not God that we get comfort from. Not because he wants us to live an uncomfortable life, but because idols are no substitute for who he is. I think that if we took just a few moments and we talked about, we asked the question, what are the idols in our life? Most of us could probably come up with that list, if it's a list, or the one, the biggest thing, in a really short period of time. For me, I have no question about what the idol is that I continually wrestle with, and that's security. Security. I'm coming to the end of my work career, and so I wonder how we're going to survive, as most people do when you get older. And the fact that, that God has provided for us for, for 40 years of ministry just kind of gets pushed aside, and it's like, I need to be secure. Security can be an idol, one that you have to, to wrestle with. The, and, and part of that, again, is why God has chosen to, to picture our relationship with him as a relationship between a bride and a groom, because that's the kind of desire, the, the, the relationship that he desires. And, th and that, I know that makes, makes me feel uncomfortable, talking about bride and groom and intimacy and passion in terms of a relationship with God. But somebody once said this, he said, he said, the difference between the God in the Bible, the God of the Bible, and an idol is that an idol will never shock you. And the reason an idol will never shock you is because you created it. You made it into an idol, so you know what to expect from it. But the God of the Bible continually shocks us and continually makes us feel uncomfortable. But that's a good thing. So all of this is to, to explain the nature and part of, the, of love, the love that God has for us, that since the creation of the world, he has been involved in this, this love affair with God. We see this throughout the whole Old Testament, right? That God pursues his people and they are, 
they, they, they worship him and they give their hearts to him for a while and then they, then they go off and, into disobedience and they chase after other idols. And God calls them and, and calls them back into this relationship and times they repent and they come back and other times they don't. But this idea of this love relationship between God and his people is most often seen through the words of the prophet, the prophets. Philip Yancey once said that reading the prophets is like listening to a, a, lover's, a lover's quarrel through thin apartment walls. If you've ever lived in an apartment with thin walls and you hear the, you hear the conversations with the people from the people in the next apartment, right? And when they're having a fight, you hear that. When they're having a party, you hear that. But you hear all that stuff. And then he's saying that's kind of what it's like. Through the prophets, you're hearing this argument that's going on between God and his people. So here, hear the voice of God through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 23 and 20 through 25. He says this, how can you say I have not defiled? I have not run after the Baals. Baals were the false gods, the idols that they were chasing after. See how you behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are our swift she-camel running here and there. A wild donkey, accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat, who can restrain her. Any males who pursue her need not tire themselves at mating time. They will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare, your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods, and I must go after them. That is, that's a, a really earthy kind of image. This idea of an animal that's in heat and just, just going after it. And he's saying, my people are like that sometimes. They're just sniffing the air, and they're just going to do what they're going to do. But then also, again and again, the prophets, you read this, we hear this. But if they will return to me, if they will return to me, I will love them with the same love I had before they ran off and were disobedient. That is, that's the reckless love of God that we sang about this morning. And that's why it's, it's so much more than just getting rid of statues in our houses. We think, okay, I've got, I, I've got statues in my house, and according to this, I can't have them, I'm just gonna clear it out. I got all the, sta I got all the statues gone, I don't bow down, I don't worship before, before statues, I'm good with commandment number two. <laughs> And he's saying, no, and he said, this is, this is more than getting rid of statues. This is when, you, when we have idols in our life, whatever they are, they wound the very heart of God. They are a betrayal of his love for us. That's why we asked that question a couple weeks ago. Why would God do that? Why would God put himself in a relationship with people who he knows are probably going to be unfaithful? And yet he still opens his heart to be wounded by these people. And part of that is because 
If he didn't, it wouldn't be a relationship. We would be robots that just do what God tells us to do, but he gives us this free, free will. He, and even this idea that he gives us freedom to make a choice is an expression of his love. Tells us who he is. Philip Yancey wrote this. He said, power can do everything with the exception of one thing. It cannot force love. Power cannot force love. Or another theologian by the name of Bonnie Raitt wrote this. How can I make you love me when you don't? It's an impossibility. So the first, first question, what, is, what does God want? God will be settled with nothing less than our hearts. So the other question that rises for me out of that is, is that the kind of relationship I want with God? Am I ready to have that kind of relationship? Is there anything within me that desires that kind of relationship? More than I've experienced up to this day, more than I even maybe even knew existed, am I willing to enter into that journey with God? And again, sometimes those kinds of questions of I'm walking into this deep relationship with God creates fear for, for us. And part of that is God reaching out and saying, he goes, trust me with your life, trust me with your heart. And there's not a person here who in their lifetime has not had a relationship where you've been hurt by somebody who told, asked you to do the same thing. Trust me, trust me. And we trusted them and they broke our heart or they broke their trust or they didn't keep their word and we were wounded. And out of our woundedness of our past experiences, we close our, our hearts down to the passionate love of God and we settle for something tamer than that. Like religion, where we have the form of godliness but without the power. When we settle for a list of do's and don'ts, that's what God wants, I'll keep the list of do's and don'ts. And when we settle for that, that is idolatry. And ultimately that causes us our hearts to close down to the love, the reckless, the reckless love of God. We often deal with, with God's passion, his jealous love for us in one of two ways. One is we just shut our hearts down, as I said. We shut our hearts down and we keep up our religious practices. We desire to, to protect ourselves. Or we go to the other end. We pursue anything. We just, we're going to pr pr pursue the next spiritual high. If, if this church doesn't give me what I want, I'm going to go someplace else. And when that church stops giving me, I'm going to go someplace else. And we keep going and going. And, and that is, that's an addiction, which is an idol in itself. Ta Solomon talked about this. He said, he talked about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes de desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had 
toiled or worked to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He finds just pursuing, pursuing, pursuing all these things, wealth, health, women. He says, in the end, what it was, some, some verses say vanity of vanities, but really what he's saying is, goes, it was meaningless. It was meaningless. So I wonder what it must like, be like for God to be married to me. Or for God to be married to us. With our hearts that are just shut down and we're settling for something much less than he wants. What would it be like to be married to someone who, no matter what we did, no matter how often we expressed love, we lavished love on them, they just sat there with their arms folded and go, yeah, I've heard that before. What would it be like to be married to someone like that? Or what would it be married to, like to be married to somebody who's out in the streets every day looking for love in all the wrong places, unfaithful in everything? What would it be like to be married to somebody like that? So this morning, you see, uh, this is not a call to identify the idols in our life. Because I said, like I said, I think we could all identify the idols in our life in, in a couple of seconds. What this is about is a call to a commitment to a journey, to a deeper relationship with God. Cindy and I have been married now for, I, gotta get, I better get this right, even though she's not here, 47 years, I think 48 this summer. And I think back to August 27th, 1972. I remember that day. And I loved her with all my heart. There was nobody else that I wanted to spend my life with. She was the focus of my life. And now when I look back 47 years later, I wonder if I really loved her at all. Because our, when I look back, I realize now that all those things I just said were all about me. It was about what I thought she could give to me, how she looked, what all those things. And now we have experienced 47 years of, of life together, and it is incredibly deeper and more passionate than it ever was back in 1972. Because we've been on this journey, and it's been a journey of, of forgiveness, of grace, of, of fights, of joy, of taking responsibility for our sins, confessing, asking for forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. And I never could have imagined that 47 years ago. And that's the kind of relationship God's calling us to. That we sit here today and we think, yes, Yes, I love God. I love God with all my heart. But to know this, that he wants us to continue on this journey in deeper ways 
in ways that will gash her, they'll make us feel uncomfortable and unsure, and we're gonna have to get rid of our idol of security, or whatever our idol is. But he's inviting us into this, to open our hearts to the deep and the passionate love that God has, more than a list of do's and don'ts that we try to keep meticulously, but to a love relationship, because that's why he created us, and that's what we're called to. Frederick Buechner is uh, a, a contemporary theologian, and he, he wrote this. Repent and believe that the gospel is true. Turn around and believe that the good news, that you are loved by God, and this is better news than we had ever dared to hope. Let's pray together. Lord God, we stand here this morning to confess that we believe that the gospel is true. That you so love the world, that you so love the world, that you so love us, that you've given to us your very best, your most precious thing, your son Jesus. We cannot wrap our minds around the depth of your love for us. But we are this, we are committed to continue on this journey wherever it leads us, knowing that you call us deeper and deeper still until we breathe our final breath here on earth. To this, we give ourselves. In Jesus' name.